Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Hannah Eisloffel, who is from Table Buff Farms. And um, Hannah, why don't you tell us a little bit where you're, where you're located? Hi, so we're uh, in Northern California in Humboldt County, um, so the town of Lolita. Um, and we're out on Table Bluff Road there, um, just about a mile down the road. And so we are in between the um, mouth of the Eel River, the Humboldt Bay National Wildlife Refuge, and the Pacific Ocean. So it's kind of a really beautiful and unique spot. Oh, that sounds fabulous. So talk to us a little bit about the kind of farm that you're, you're building. So uh, Table Bluff Farm is a woman owned by me. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, regenerative micro farm and we're focusing on providing um, a barrier-free CSA for mm-hmm. uh, our rural disadvantaged community. Mm-hmm. We grow vegetables, uh, raise chickens for eggs and meat and pigs and cut flowers. Very cool. And so talk to us a little bit about your, well, let's, we'll get into that. So let's talk about the overarching aspects of the farm is like, how big is it? And kind of like your growing methods. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we're uh, two acres um, Mm -hmm. at at the Table Bluff site. And this last year, we just started renting acreage in the nearby town of Fortuna, um, where I had the, we had our first pumpkin patch and stuff over there. And we have all our chickens over there now. Um, but here at the farm where we're, where we grow all the vegetables for the CSA and everything, um, we have two greenhouses and one, we got through the CDFA NRCS equip grant. Um, so we were able to get a 30 by 96 greenhouse and, um, that's where we've, where you were able to, I mean, of course we didn't start out that way. We started out with an overgrown horse pasture, uh, blackberry and trees that we've had to take out and. Um, so, but at this point now we have this greenhouse, um, high tunnel, it's 22 feet high, um, at the, at the crux of it up there. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we just invested in a, um, I guess it's 20 by 76, um, lower tunnel kind of thing, kind of greenhouse. Um, so we just started with that and everything else we grow outside, um, and we also have a mandala garden that um, is like is where our flowers grow. So it's uh, a garden with five concentric circles with pathways oh, cool. in between all of it. And we grow dahlias, snapdragons, zinnias, uh, gladiolus, sunflowers, and other things. Um, so that's a really big part of our farm too that we're trying to make look really great for um, being attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So now you said a 22 foot tall greenhouse. That's, that's pretty tall. Now is the sidewall super tie on tie on that as well, or talk to me a little bit about the construction of that. No, it, so it's kind of, um, I guess say barn shaped. So the walls come up and then it comes okay. like this. Yeah. So, um, the sidewalls I would say are at the highest well, before that it starts going up into the peak 
it's yeah. like it's like six feet. Gotcha. Okay. But, All so right. when you're in there, um, it just allows for um, we we do a low and lean system trellis mm-hmm. system with our tomatoes, and so having the really high ceiling enables us to grow those plants up really tall, um, and then kind of shift over the mm-hmm. hooks that we have for them. So then you can actually grab them without having to get up on a step ladder. ladder. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, now talk to us about a little bit about the weather for your area of California. So here it is very mild all the time. We don't get any snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a zone nine B here um at at the farm we might be some kind of sub even sub zone of that but lolita apparently is 9b um so uh, right now we just got a big uh rainstorm that we've desperately needed in california because of the drought and everything Mm -hmm. um so that's been that was helpful um but right now it's it's sunny um with little patches of rain every now and then the, because we're right on the ocean, it's just, I mean, you can see it from here. Um, we definitely get uh, a lot of the like cold winds when, when there mm-hmm. is a storm. Um, and Lolita is notoriously windy anyway up here on the hill. And so uh, we've, that's kind of why we've implemented a couple things to help with that, like our windbreak plants, which are 70 California redwood trees that we've planted. Okay. And so that will really help with the north wind that we get on a pretty consistent basis. Gotcha. And how long would those take to grow up to size? Uh, right now, they're about a foot to two feet tall. Uh, okay. So because we they started from the little little guy, little saplings, um, and but they're you know they're growing actually pretty quick. I think it benefits them all being together like that mm-hmm. in a line. Um, they're, you know, such a communal tree. Uh, so I think it's, it's an, at 10, like basically we did all of our calculations for all of the plants that we've planted through our grants through like a 10 year, like lens, Okay. Um, by then probably a little bit before then, uh, we'll be able to, cause we want them to get to about a foot or sorry, (laughs) we want them to grow to about 10 feet. Um, so it grows about a foot a year, uh, gotcha. like that's yeah. the, that's the growth rate we seem to be going with. If it quickens, that'd be great. But, um, so about 10 years, then we're going to hedge them at about 10 feet, uh, maybe 12. So it depends. The timeline's kind of variable based on how, how, do, how well they do. Cause they also took quite a beating when we first planted them. Cause that's, they're taking all the brunt of the wind. And so, but they, they've, they've survived and they're, they're yeah. growing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and, um, with that, that zone nine, so that means like things like dahlias, you just cut back to the ground. You don't have to like pull them up. Exactly. Yeah. We've, we have pulled them up in the past and because we live so close to the coast, mm-hmm. um, we just, it, it's almost, it's nearly impossible to keep them overwintered without getting moldy and damaged that way. So ah, gotcha. we've tried it a bunch of different ways, all the kinds of ways that they say, uh, to, to do it. And it just hasn't worked for us. And so the, and the few bulbs that we accidentally left in the ground, cause we planted so many, like we didn't know exactly where they started yeah. and ended. Um, they've, they just came back the next year, totally fine. So we just kind of took that as the, as the cue, but we should try this. We're going to have some, 
um, stockpiled, you know, some new ones just in case, you know, in order to fill in our mandala garden. And also we have a kind of a big patch mm-hmm. of them out in the front of our property. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, we're not going to try not to put all our eggs in one basket with them, but um, we'll, we'll see. Cause that would just, that would enhance our no-till um, methodology. Also we're, we're trying not to till removing those big old tubers is pretty, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to go pretty deep. So it's, it's uh, kind of resets the whole soil, like microbiology that was going on there. That was helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm also scrolling through Instagram here and uh, pigs, do you talk to us about the role pigs play? So pigs um, have been our, basically we needed our pigs because we wanted to be no-till, but we were faced with a compacted horse pasture uh, mm-hmm. that was, you know, like I said, overgrown with blackberry, uh, terrible weeds throughout, um, not really good. It was a, you know, a pasture that had a horse in it, but hadn't for 10 years. So um, it was all overgrown. There were all these uh, bull pine trees growing that are just super acidic for the soil. Very, just a whole redo needed to be made. And so but we also wanted to be mainly no-till um, as much as possible. And so we employed the use of our pigs to basically be biotillers for mm-hmm. our spot. Um, and so a- everywhere that we have a garden or we have things growing in now, all the spaces on the farm, it was tilled by pigs. So, um, and then we use silage tarps. Um, they're the black, Thick mm-hmm. black with the maybe the white underneath kind of panda, but they can just be black too. Um, pulled over the uh, the garden area for mm, I'd say like six to twelve weeks, depending on how bad it is or how well the pigs have been able to tear it all up, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you won't get the nearly the kind of weed grow back that you would um, when you then go to plant your plants. So. It's a really great way that we found it is more suited for small, small farms. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, you know, you're pulling like planets full of plastic, you know, across your whole fields, you know, Um, not as, not as doable, but for someone who is, you know, going under, under five acres um, and wants to be no-till, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, gotcha. And I'd say for using pigs, you could definitely go much bigger than that, just using yeah. biotilling because you just would move them along and um, tear up what you need kind of thing. Yeah. Now, do you bring the chickens in through all that at all or is it mm-hmm. just pig? Okay. Yeah. So then after the pigs go in um, and after they're, they've thoroughly <laughs> removed every, all the plant material and everything, um, the chickens will then go in and they actually eat the, you know, whatever little, Mm -hmm. um, microbes and, uh, bugs that are in the pig poop as it, as it decomposes in the soil. So anything that like uh, colonizes the poop, but then is Mm -hmm. like growing, the chickens eat that kind of cleans up everything. Um, they get all the little last bits and then they add their fertilizer too, uh, to the Mm -hmm. soil and as the pigs did. And so then you, um, yeah, so it would be then, and then you pull the silage sharps over, and then everything is just laying fallow for six to twelve weeks, depending on. Um, and it's also, you know, that other that other part about silage sharps is sometimes that's too long to wait for folks, and so we're definitely on a um, 
we're focused on permaculture here and not necessarily using every square inch for planting crops that will bring in yeah. money. Um, it's more of a holistic vision for the, for the farm that's based in permaculture. And so again, that might not be a method that everyone would want to use if they're, if they're looking to, you know, make some quick cash kind of thing. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about your CSA. Cause you do your CSA a little bit different. Um, how yeah. does that help both the business and the community? So we found that our CSA model is really great because um, we, and we call it barrier free because for two reasons, because we don't require upfront co- uh, payments, which traditional CSAs do um, require okay. either, maybe not the whole season. Some people have payment programs now, but it's usually a chunk of money, um, yeah. a couple hundred bucks to re- basically reserve your spot in the CSA. And then you pay other chunks as you go along and it can be anywhere from, I mean, in our area, um, like five to $800 or maybe even a little more based on the CSA knowledge of farms that I have in this area. Yeah. Um, and that's a big chunk of change. I mean, that's, that's my mortgage, you know, (laughs) like I can't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to participate in a CSA Mm -hmm. if that were the model, like I have never been able to participate in a CSA because of that yeah. factor. So we came up with the model of, and I'm sure other people do it too, but we, you know, just said that this would be the best thing for us is let's just no upfront payments. You just pay $20 a week and you can, we have a website so you can sign up for auto pay. So people aren't necessarily forgetting. It's like, it's on yeah. a, it's on a, uh, auto pay situation. Um, it's, I, I guess some other folks that we, we asked, um, other farmers said that it would fail, like, and that people wouldn't yeah. pay and all this stuff. And that's just not true. Um, I've only had one person in our six seasons not pay for their share, wow. like out of defiance yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. and it was just one week. Cause of course I'm not going to deliver another week's worth. Yeah. Um, you know, and I wasn't, I didn't have to then refund her because, you know, she hadn't paid more than just that week. And so it works out really well because I kind of feel nervous just sitting on a bunch of money too. And then like, what if the CSA, what if the, what if there is a big failure of something, you know, like what if all our tomatoes, you know, rot, like knock on, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But that's such a huge part of our summer CSA. And so I would feel really bad, you know, charging people the same amount for a lesser CSA. You know, it's, there is the, so the, so the, you know, CSA, community supported agriculture, there is that the traditional method, you know, traditional um, framework of it is so that you are part of the farm like you are buying the seed helping buy the seed for the year and um like the the farm literally couldn't do it without you being there but i i think that things are changing um people don't have as much available income um all the time and and csa members have traditionally been people who probably, you know, they can afford to throw that chunk of change down. Yeah. So we wanted to provide a CSA that goes to people. And so then along those lines, so you pay $20 a week and that gets you your full thing of veggies. You can add on other things. Um, And then we also offer delivery. And so between a 
but it's basically like a 30 mile radius ish. Um, that's the farthest we go is like 30 miles. Um, for $5 we'll deliver and we don't, you know, you don't place the order and then we bring it to you right then it's, mm-hmm. you know, certain days we do certain towns. And so then that makes it more efficient gas wise, uh, because mm-hmm. it's just me going out and delivering every box versus all 60 people like getting in their mm-hmm. cars and driving somewhere. So I feel like it's more environmentally friendly that way. Um, it's, convenient for folks because they don't have to plan the pickup into their day that is a notorious thing with csas they've already paid and yet they still can't go find the time to go pick it up and that just happens it's life you know but that's that's a shame and you don't want that food to go to waste and so by bringing it to their doorstep (laughs) in the evening um it's it's just people have loved it. And a lot of people who were coming to pick up now switch to delivery and it's great. Um, and I really feel like people are signing up for our CSA who have never been in the CSA before because of that reason or, or a couple of reasons, you know, that not being able to find the time to go pick it up and also just that ca- upfront cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then do you just have to think a little bit more creatively about your upfront start of the season? Is that kind of how you manage that or? Yeah, you have to save money. <laughs> like yeah. you have to, you know, you can't um, just spend it all during the year. You have to put money aside. Um, you might have to take out a small ag business loan. That is super helpful. Um, ag credit is amazing, um, especially I mean, because of the loans it provides, which are just super low interest Mm -hmm. and you could probably even get a lower interest than I have. Just, I mean, if you have outstanding credit, you're going to also get, and if you, you know, if you're making more money than we are, all those things, you'll, you'll get even a bigger access to loans. But I mean, just us, you know, my, just my small little farm, um, got a line of credit for $25,000 and that's how I was able to buy that greenhouse which makes it so that I could double my CSA in the winter, double my membership. And so then that money that I get from that, that extra, I'm using it to pay back. And it's such a small amount that you need to pay back by the end of the year that it's just, I mean, I, people shouldn't be afraid of taking out an ag business loan, maybe other loans, but not an ag business loan. It's It's pretty essential. Yeah, we're at I think one point four five percent or something with our micro loan. So it's it's crazy cheap money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Uh, yeah, we use it. You know, I I that's a huge recommend on my list for um, yeah new farmers and farmers who are looking to like if they are looking to go no till there'll be some expenses in that. You'll also be able to sell your tractor or your BCS get some money that way. (laughs) But um, also. But also, you know, there are expenses to transitioning to that way. And so, um, you know, get a loan for that. All farmers of all stages should try to see what they're qualified for. It's also nice to just have that because you can use it for anything. And so it's just really nice to have that cushion in mm-hmm. case something happens. You do have money to be able to feed your animals. You know, there won't be any like stopping of that um, while you get back on your feet kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what type of people end up joining your CSA? Talk to us a little bit about like the demographic. Oh, let's see. Um, I'd say we have, I'd say we have about 
30% people of color. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd say probably about 70% white. Um, we have the whole range of ages. Okay. Um, I'd say mostly though, it leans towards the small family. Like there's not a lot of young, um, like just out of high school or yeah. college students doing it. some, some, there are a few that are my mm -hmm. CSA members that are just college students and they get their CSA. That's just highly unusual. It's usually families or elderly, uh, folks. And so yeah. we have a lot of, I deliver to some, um, like the retirement communities, uh, a couple of those I deliver to uh, for some folks and, um, but, but all the way down to just young families, you know, with not much time to go out and, or access to fresh vegetables. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then with that, are you providing like recipes or what do you provide anything else? Or is just the, and is it a bag or a box? How do you deliver it? Or how did so, that so, um, the first couple seasons that I was doing it, I was using, uh, cardboard boxes. <sighs> When COVID hit, um, I wasn't as keen to use recycled cardboard boxes mm -hmm. that I was, you know, had been using, you know, just collecting them kind of over the year um, or over the season. Um, so, and I didn't really, I just, I hate the, <laughs> like the, just the, it's just the idea behind buying cardboard boxes, you know, to be shipped. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah. It's just like uh, trees and all the things. But um, so we decided that it would be best to go to these reusable crates. So um, there are these collapsible uh, plastic crates that are just, I mean, they're so durable. They've, I mean, mm -hmm. they'll, they've lasted seasons now and I'm, they've got seasons left in them. Um, so I basically, I bought two crates for each member of the CSA. And so I'll drop off the CSA box and then they can unload it whenever they want to. And then I come back and I'll pick up that box and leave their other box. And so, and then I, um, because I mean, not only because of COVID because of food safety and everything too, but just extra because of COVID like mm -hmm. really bleach washing all of them before then reusing because it's not those person's crates always it's you know correct just, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that works fabulously also because the crates collapse it that's like huge because I have I, I um I'm in the middle of trying to purchase a van um that mm -hmm. I raised money for um but with the supply chain delays it's been almost a year since oh, um, gosh. Yeah. yeah and so it's a Ford Transit which will be awesome and it'll have lots of space but I've basically been using I used a RAV4 and now I'm using a Honda Element like to okay yeah make these delivers deliveries and oh man I cannot like stress enough how awesome the Honda Element is like even more room than the RAV4 for doing that kind of thing. But anyway, um, but it does, I do have a limit. It's like 18 people and I can't do any more than that in a run, you know? And so um, I have to kind of plan that for my days of delivery. So with the van, that'll be amazing. But in the meantime, the collapsible crates have been key because yeah. I don't have to put, I don't have full crates full of food and then empty full crates taking up space it's like just a stack of these collapsed ones and so it's yeah that's been awesome it's also feels really good because there's just like 
essentially no waste. Mm -hmm. It also, because they're plastic, it also makes it so that I don't use, um, I mean, there's hardly any packaging that goes into the boxes there. We don't, I mean, unless there's things like, um, tomatoes that'll roll around, you know, if they're, if they were not in a container of some kind, um, or apples or, uh, peas, you know, things like that. Otherwise there's no bags. We usually give full heads of lettuce. So there's no bagged mm -hmm. lettuce. Um, and so that's just another way that, you know, we are trying to be more environmentally conscious, um, mm -hmm. to, to not use this, this bagging that's only used once, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. With this farm, we've done a lot more bagging than we did in our previous businesses. And I'm just, it's just, it's so frustrating, but and we're trying to figure it out, but it's, yeah. it's kind of tough. No, yeah. it is. And I mean, and people love lettuce mixes. We moved away from those just because yeah. we were like, I just, I can't, I can't, like I was using those biodegradable yeah. green bags, you know, and people just, they just don't like the feel of them. They feel kind of slimy, you know, and I totally get it. And then when you're supposed to eat the stuff that's in it, like I have nothing against these bags for dried goods, but you can't put lettuce in them and it just kind of ruined it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Yes. And people love the full heads because then they can do what they want. You know, they can, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, they, they stay fresher when they're the full head than when they've been broken up. I haven't also been touching them as much, which seemed really helpful during COVID times. Um, so it's just, just a choice we've made. And I feel like people really appreciate not having all this extra stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your pumpkin patch. Cause that seemed to do really well for you this year. And would yeah. love to kind of like hear like the behind the scenes of how it, how it happened. Yeah. So, uh, we were able to, we were renting this space over in Fortuna through our friend Keith Winnegar and he's a local rancher. And this, he's, he's retiring. And so he's looking to still have his land be in use, but him not necessarily mm -hmm. using it. And so we converted about three acres to uh, two and a half acres to where our chickens are, built a coop there and have a, another small vegetable garden there going now. And then we have this other little patch of land that's just one field over from that, just a few hundred yards down that was, we didn't really know what to do with it. And um, I, I think I probably saw some things on social media or I read some things on, on um, farmer magazine stuff. And I just got it into my brain that like, I really want to have a pumpkin patch. Like I love them. I think they're so fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had grown pumpkins for our CSA the year before, and we only grew like hundred pumpkins total. Um, but it was so, super fun to have all the kids come out and like pick which one they want. We grew a variety of them. And, and so I, that was kind of like the Kickstarter of like, let's, let's find a way to do this. And then, you know, this <laughs> land came and was like, perfect, perfect opportunity. Plus the town of Fortuna has never had a pumpkin patch. And so it just seemed extra, um, mm -hmm. you know, like just, we need to do this, you know, and the community was such, I mean, the pumpkins were great, but like just having a pumpkin patch there was just, people were over the moon about it. I mean, almost every other customer was commenting like, oh my God, I'm so glad we have a 
spot here now. Um, yeah. And so we've already purchased our seed for next year, more varieties, more everything. Um, so we're definitely doing it again next year. It was so much fun. It was a lot of work. We planted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I seed started every single pumpkin plant out there by hand. And then we planted each of those plants by hand. Um, mm-hmm. Just me and my uh, partner, Nick. Yeah. And, and so, um, and then, you know, bought the drip tape to have them be all watered evenly and nicely and which we can reuse, which is nice. Um, and went over to check on them, weed them several times. Cause they just, it was the first time anything had yeah. been there. Um, again, it was a old, old horse pasture. So and, were you uh, hand weeding them or how'd you hoe them or hand weed, um, hand weed, uh, hula hoe mm-hmm. shovel sometimes like when it was just a pathway. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, but mostly by hand, just quick hand weeding, you know, by yeah. hand, luckily a lot of the weeds were pretty big. They were like these just big out of control yeah and so it was kind of like you pulled one up and it was feet so it felt very satisfying (laughs) doing that way um but it was also a lot of work our our ultimate goal would be able to put down like a um a weed barrier to you know for each Mm -hmm. all the pumpkin it's a little bit out of our price range right now but i think ultimately that would i mean it would just save so much labor time that it would be worth it so exactly Yeah. yeah Yeah. So, and how how did you manage, uh, like disease and pests for the pumpkin patch? Yeah. So we're, we're organic. Um, Mm -hmm. so I actually, we, we didn't have too much of a problem with, we did have a gopher problem. We had a major, Uh, we had a major gopher problem. We would, you know, you'd go to pick up a big pumpkin we even sold one because it was like 30 pounds and we put it on the scale and the, the dad and son took it home and then they brought it back the next day in a bag. And they're like, he's like, you want to show her why, why we're bringing this pumpkin back? And there's this big gopher hole right through the middle. And so I was like, Oh my God, please go pick another pumpkin. Like we didn't even see it. So yes. Um, yeah. they're pretty destructive. And so we've decided for, um, this coming year, we're going to build a couple owl boxes Mm-hmm. and have them out there to take care, hopefully take care of our yeah. gophers in a, you know, very safe, uh, yeah. nature-friendly way. Yeah. I'm just looking at your field here and I'm seeing how clean it is as well as how the, the disease. And I think you, you, you have a lot drier climate out there, I think, than we do here in the Midwest. Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. And, and of course the drought has not been helpful also. Yeah. And so if we had done the same thing, if we had tried to have that pumpkin patch here in Lolita, which is just, it's a 10 minute drive, 12 minute drive. Um, it's seven miles uh, from here, but it's a little bit inland. Mm. Climate's like, the climate's like completely different. It's totally, huh. it's, it's right along the river rather. It doesn't get the coastal air as much. I mean, it's still yeah. pretty cool. I mean, it's compared to anywhere else that's more inland, um, but it, it gets more of that river, um, air. So it's not as like sharp. It doesn't get as cold. I feel like mm-hmm. in the, um, in the winters as, you know, a little bit further inland. Um, and it gets colder than, than Lolita does in the winter. 
but it also gets hotter. It gets, I mean, 10 to 20 degrees hotter just because we get a lot of fog, you know, too, being on the coast. So we will get, you know, it'll be totally socked in fog here. And in Fortuna, it's bright and sunny. And that's usually how it is. It's not the other way around. <laughs> so, um, so I feel like those microclimates just, you know, mm -hmm. even within a you know, 10 mile area is our <laughs> just, uh, they, when you find them, uh, um, use them, you know, for what that area is good for, you know, don't try yes. to plant don't try to plant something just because you really like it in an area that's not going to be able to sustain that very well. Um, yeah. so, so we just felt like, man, this soil is, is so fertile. Uh, we had some other folks who had, were old timers that would live there said that, you know, for years it was just cow pasture. Mm -hmm. And then for more years, it was just horse pasture. And I'm just like, Oh my God, that's why the pumpkins are so amazing. Yes. So yes. we have to keep, keep applying their compost. Like we do. Um, exactly. Because we, we, we also applied compost to ours. And so, um, and we also um, use this, this stuff called Wallace's Organic Wonder. Um, okay. And I'm not a promoter of it. I mean, not like an official promoter of it at all, but it yeah. was, it's this mycorrhizal powder that you mm -hmm. just put like a little, um, I think it's like a tablespoon. Every time you, when you plant the plant, you just put it like yeah. in a bowl and then plant the plant. Um, it, it, and it, then the guy Wallace is like the giant Atlantic giant pumpkin grower. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's like, you know, a proponent of this, it's his thing, but oh man, it, I feel like it worked because there yeah. were, we could only do like half the field. And so we only were able to do like it on half and man, that half <laughs> that got really it. Good. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So what were you charging per pound? So we um, did a dollar a pound for all pumpkin varieties. Wow. Which that's amazing. Which when you think of it, um, it was most people were really happy. Um, yeah. We're going to change it. We're probably going to change it up a little bit next year. Most people were really happy because they only wanted like kind of a pie pumpkin or they wanted a decorative pumpkin or mm -hmm. they, you know, they mm -hmm. wanted something small, which they're usually priced per each. And yes. when we weighed them, a pumpkin that I would have charged probably 15 to 20 bucks for really only came out to be seven or eight. So most people I would say were stoked. Um, yeah. Then there were the people, the few people who came and, you know, they got a 60 pound pumpkin and it was 60 bucks, you know? Um, yep. But they really wanted that surface, you know, they picked it, yep. what they wanted. And so I felt like, providing the experience. We had animals there that people could, we had our, we yeah. brought a couple of our pigs over a couple of our goats to, for them, for folks to be able to pet and feed pumpkins to and stuff like that. Um, I felt like that, you know, ha uh, the couple of employees that we hired to help uh, paying them a living wage, $15 an hour uh, plus tips, you know, whatever tips that the folks left um, plus the work that it takes from April to through October. Absolutely. Yeah. To, I mean, actually March, you know, when your seed starting. So I felt like it was fair. I looked around at other farms prices and um, I thought that we were probably like right up there at the top of what people were charging, but we were also told that our pumpkins were the best ones they've ever bought. Um, they, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable charging a good price, you know, that, that high of a price for pumpkins that were, just yeah. 
nasty, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And I felt like their quality um, and, you know, just covering everything. It really was great. We were able to give the land owner, you know, cause we're just renting that space. We were get, able to give him a big chunk of money that he was super happy for. And then we'll continue to want to yeah. have us there, you know? So all those, all those things come into play with the costs. And yeah. so yeah, I felt like fabulous. most people were stoked. Most people yeah. thought it was the best deal ever. There were a few people that came and bought $300 worth of pumpkins and they did not care one bit. Yeah. <laughs> Which people are crazy about that winter yeah. squash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's, like, that's... Winter squash and only that winter squash. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We charge for our decorative fancy pumpkins, which are like the stackers, we're able to get 45 cents a pound, 50 cents a pound. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, we're in Ohio, we're in like, you know, this is farm country. So there's a number of, you know, places around us. They, people did say you were on the cheap, we were on the cheaper end. Um, but I, you know, I bet we could have gone higher if we had the experience. Cause what you did is create an experience. We just had pumpkins and piles because we bring them in, but you, they went out to the field, there's animals, there's a whole experience. So I think that's why you're totally. able to make that work really well. Hey there, do you grow flowers or are you interested in adding this exploding enterprise to your farm business? Then jump on over to www.farmsummits.com and drop your email. We're hosting the Thriving Farmer Flower Summit the first weekend in January and can't wait for you to join us. You'll learn from industry experts and new farmers alike as they share what works, what doesn't, and how to enjoy flowers on a whole new level. Let's move a little bit to your marketing here because you do a fabulous job with your Instagram. One of the things I love is you do a lot of long form posts. So it's not just like, you know, again, I'm the kind of, I snap a picture, I throw it up, but you do really great long uh, things. And then you also do a photo description. Talk to us a little bit about that. So um, the kind of the model that I've been using for the past few years for my Instagram is to do a uh, daily farm post. I've the past mm -hmm. few weeks have I've been relishing this time off because it was my first year as a real yeah. full-time farmer. Um, and so I, I have not been as active, but during the season, I post every day a photo mm -hmm. or a video or something of what's going on on the farm. Sometimes it's just a funny animal video because something hilarious happened with my pig pumpkin or, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's a, uh, this is how we do tomatoes, you know, mm -hmm. or this mm -hmm. is how we lay out the silage sharp and, you know, and, and pulling it back and showing the results of that. So, um, so uh, I, I really liked doing that. People have really liked it. I don't, I don't do a lot of Instagram flooding of photos. I feel like it helps um, people really tune in when I do make a post. You know, um, I think if I were, I'm sure I could be more aggressive and everything with those kinds of posts, but I'm not, I'm at the point where we have a steady flow of customers. Now I'm just trying to, you know, tell this farm story more than yeah. making ads to get people to sign up for our CSA or something, you know, like I'll have like maybe two of those for a season. Um, but it's just not, um, it's not what I want to use Instagram for. I guess is what, mm -hmm. what I say. Um, and then, so for the photo descriptions, um, I have, as I've been delving into the social media world, I've learned a couple things that when you use hashtags that have the capital letter, like if you have a hashtag that's like 
farmer life, hashtag mm-hmm. farmer life. Um, if you capitalize the F and you capitalize the L so that you can actually see what those words are, um, the computer systems that read aloud to uh, folks who can't see ah. actually read those. It's not a gobbledygook like farmer life, you know, like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they see it as two separate words. And so I started doing that um, before I started doing the descriptions and I still do the other, the hashtags with the capitals too. Ah, uh, okay. Because, uh-huh. because that helps folks, you know, be able to participate in the post. And then I do the descriptions. Um, I noticed it, I think on another social media post or something. So I looked up, what is this about, you know, having the description they kept yeah. having, like every post. And um, I read that again, it's, for people who can't see um, to be able to have the description of what it is read to them through their, um, their mm-hmm. the software that they have through their whatever program. And so it's just a way that, you know, that we can include a small way to, yeah. be able to include folks who uh, don't, don't have the same abilities as we expect people to when they're on a uh, image based program, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing or an app. Um, so it's, and I feel like it's, uh, caught on along a few other people that I'm close with and that I are also small business entrepreneurs and, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, they've started doing it too. And so I just feel like, um, just keeping doing it every time is, um, important for showing. And I think people like reading it too, like even people who are cited because, um, I'll kind of give details about what the thing is in the description that I didn't put in the post, you know? So it's, it does add to it, but it also helps those folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so talk to us about the grants. You've gotten a couple of different grants as you've built the farm. Talk to us about the process for that and kind of any advice you have for other farmers looking to do the same. Yeah. Um, I am a huge proponent of, the would obviously be each individual state's entity, but through the USDA, so mm-hmm. here through the USDA, the CDFA, the California Department of Food and Agriculture, they have these series of grants that are for farmers who are looking to be more environmentally responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think I think it's led. It's kind of become that you know it's it's really soil health and water conservation are really the the thing the language. But recently, I think more it's become more about carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. And so there have been more approved practices and things that will be funded. And so I started with the EQUIP grant, like I said, about the high tunnel. Um, it was the one that was recommended to us to start with because it's a very actionable, um, it's, it's a big project because it's a big cost and it's a you know big thing to put it up, but it's also a like, one and done project, you know, it's Mm -hmm. something that if you write the grant and they fund it and you buy it and put it up and they come and make sure that it's done, then they see that you have been able to successfully follow Mm -hmm. a plan. So it's kind of a, um, you don't have to have a high tunnel to go get the other CDFA grants, not at all, but it is a great way for them to see that you are serious and you're actually going to do this for a extended amount of time. So we got that. Um, and that was instrumental to the, to the whole 
<laughs> thing. And then um, got the, um, it's called the Healthy Soils Incentives Program. And that's a kind of multi-tiered program that funds a bunch of different practices that are all benefiting soil health. And so you, it, it funds um, getting soil tests Mm-hmm. for your property. So you pay it, all these grants, of course, are you pay out first. So mm-hmm. there is that, you know, thing to keep in mind. And then you get reimbursed once it's been verified that you've done these things. So like receipts and photos and things like that. So um, enable us to kind of have a starting point of what our soil was like. And then it funds for three years soil tests so that you can keep seeing mainly it's the soil organic matter content that they're checking um, because there's a direct correlation or relationship, not even correlation, relationship between the percentage of your soil organic matter and the tonnage of carbon that you've sequestered in the soil. And so if that increases, then you're increasing your sequestration, which is like a big point of the Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Um, So Um, so there's a number of practices that the grant funds like mulching, composting, no-till, hedgerows and windbreaks, and I think a couple other things. Mm. Um, and so based on what you want to do, you don't have to do all those things. It's just, if you want to add mulch, then you can get compensated depending on the acreage that you are putting it on. Um, we chose to do because we were already mulching, we're already composting. It was a lot of paperwork for two acres to get, because it's not the whole two acres. We also live here. We have our house and there's some outbuildings, you know, you're not composting every square inch. And so for the amount of land that it was, it wasn't worth it to to me to have to go through the process with that. Um, And they wouldn't fund the no-till because we were already (laughs) no-till. And Ah, so like, it's great for if you're converting, but you know, they won't fund the ongoing practice. Um, so we really took advantage of the hedgerow and windbreak sections, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, planting perennials, trees and shrubs, super important for being a regenerative farm and for sequestering carbon. It, not only are you not tilling the soil where those plants have now been planted, mm-hmm. but every year that they grow, they sequester more carbon out of the air into the soil. So mm-hmm. it is a whole... Um, it's a, you know, double-edged sword kind of thing in a good way, um, of, of planting these perennial shrubs. And so we've, uh, I picked, um, I'd say about 15 different native species that I've started planting. I've planted, planted about 240 of them so far. And I have another like 205 plants. Oh, wow. Yeah. By next year. Um, so the plants include the those 70 redwood trees I was talking about, about um, I think 46 rhododendrons. Okay. Um, different color rhododendron because they, they just grow like crazy here. It's like the perfect climate for them. So everything I chose was not only, um, except, for in, except for one thing that I planted that was on the list of acceptable plants, but it's not a native here, um, which is lavender. Um, so I did plant those but everything else is all native to this area and so it's all been thriving really well and it's and the ones that I picked were also pollinating plants and so and that wasn't that's not like a funded thing in the grant um 
but from the huge list that you have to choose from through the grant, pick the, I just pick the ones that are the pollinator plants that also thrive here. And so mm-hmm. it's been really nice because it's been, um, they just naturally have kind of come along, haven't had to do much work besides planting them because they mm-hmm. just love this climate. So um, the, the calculations are done, um, I think after five years of the plants being in the ground, it's estimated that we'll be sequestering here on the two acres two tons of carbon a year. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, um, you know, who knows if we would ever be able to actually figure out exactly what we're doing, but that's based on the practices that we're doing and the mostly the planting of those perennial hedges and windbreak. The, yeah. And the hedgerows are also just beautiful and they provide um, super important wildlife habitat we don't, we don't, we're, like I said, we're permaculture. We know we're going to lose some plants to some birds and, you know, wild things. Um, but that's not going to cause us to go out and spray everything, you know, or like, or cut everything down. It's just a balance that we want, you know, we want to be, um, not one with nature, but we want to be yeah we're more a part of it and not trying to be against it um Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. we farm you know more working with it than against it absolutely yeah that's really cool yeah in our area there's there's some you know it just really depends on the state and even sometimes the county with what they will fund and what they won't fund yep um yeah like and and it's really interesting like the energy grant they got to come out and do an audit so you got to have the stuff installed first for them to come out and then look at it and say, okay, yes, your seer or whatever it is, is only nine and we want to go to a 19. Okay. We'll fund that. So it's not like we're going to put this in and we want, yeah. So it's, it's really weird how you have to spend money first before they even think about it. Um, I've given you that, those upgrades, but yeah, it's, it is tough because we had to, I mean, I bought the plants probably, you know, months before yeah. I actually planted them in the ground and was able to get photos off and then a check back yeah you know from them so yes it is it's definitely a commitment it's also you know just to talk about it it's um it's also something that we could do because I own the farm and I own this piece of property I wouldn't I would think someone is the best most you know the biggest benefactor in the world if they were going onto a leased property and planting trees that won't really do anything for five years you know it's that's a lot to expect of someone and so absolutely yeah that's why this was you know all those other practices that the grant funds are more in line with someone who you know mulching composting anyone anywhere can do that and get the benefit of it whether you're leasing or not um but you know planting those perennial hedgerows and windbreaks that's a big deal um not Mm -hmm. only to get the agreement from your landlord who might not even want that there um but then to wait and see and maybe not even get to be there when you know it's it's actually doing its most benefit and so it's not necessarily something i'm recommending for folk for all folks it's if you know if you own your property if you um it's you have to have a plan you know you, you they don't really help you help make your plan either um there's groups you know if you find them locally sometimes they know about the grant so they'll help you with your plan but um 
you really kind of have to, you have to know, you have to measure your land um, and how many feet there will be and the area, draw maps. It's a, it's a pretty, it can be an intensive process, mm-hmm. um, especially for us, just because I was planning like all the cross fences and fences have the hedgerows and it's, you know, all these different species. And so in, and the property is just not exactly square and it, it doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't, it's not obvious. And so yeah. um, it's a, it's a in-depth process. And so you do, but you do get reimbursed for the cost of the plant and they give you kind of this one time um, incentive payment mm-hmm. so that, because technically you're removing area that could be something that brings in money. Yeah. Um, by using it because it's a, it has to be eight feet it's like eight feet um is a hedgerow and so you don't just plant like one plant along a, a line yeah it's like layers of plants and so it can you know it's 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 a big project and so um they so they do give you this this one-time incentive but it's not necessarily going to be worth it to someone who now is losing that production area yeah. And so, but like I said, we're, you know, more, we're more of the permaculture. We want people to be able to come here and have weddings, you know, like we would love that to have yeah. you know, farm-based weddings, um, have it be beautiful, have it, you know, lots of pollinators, lots of, you know, we get tons of hummingbirds uh, and lots of bees and just keep that vibe going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Talk to us a little bit about, you've actually hired recently, so you have a, a part-time employee. Talk to us about that process and kind of how you manage that. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we hired Courtney, and um, it she, she has been amazing. Uh, she's worked with us since July, and it's been on a part-time basis. She's a mom um, and she, of a toddler, and so still, still taking care of her, especially during COVID times when um, daycare has been so up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fantastic. Um, every time she comes, she's great. It was hard getting to her. <laughs> um, gotcha. yeah, we, we've been through not, we haven't not been through a ton of workers. Actually. I think it's only been a couple cause we're just very yeah. picky, um, to begin with, but even the best intentioned folks, you know, who have gardens of their own, you know, all this, all these things, um, are athletes, you know, outside, farming muscles are different <laughs> yeah. and, and the, um, the kind of, there's not a lot of coffee breaks, you know, once you're, when you're doing a task, you're doing it, you know, and you might be, you know, bent over for hours, you know, doing mm-hmm. a particular thing and, but you have to get the job done. And so there's, there's just, there's some folks who just can't, that's just not in their mind. I'm not saying that they like need to take a lot of coffee breaks, but just, that's just a totally different lifestyle for them mm-hmm. than, um, or work style than they've ever been used to. And yeah. so, um, even hard workers, you know, who do hard work in maybe spurts, you know, kind of thing. Um, but farming, you know, it was a lot of times folks went, came and worked, you know, a five to six hour day, which is like half of our day, um, you know, at the minimum. Um, so, and they, you know, say they loved it, go home. And then when the next day came, you know, to come, it was like, oh, I don't think I can kind of, kind of thing. Um, sore, 
you know, so, you know, I'd say, okay, we'll take a day, see if this is actually what you want to, you know, if you think that you want to do this, because this is basically what it's going to be like, you know, and, and we try to not have it be where, okay, just go back there and weed like for hours and hours. We try to vary things like, why don't you stand and seed start? And then once you like go down weed, um, yeah. you know, the, I mean, reach up, do things we try, but like there's things that have to be done. And so it's, um, it's a, we, we stuck with it and we, we kind of, from the first couple of things not working out, um, honed in on our, I think we were a lot looser with like the qualifications, yeah. um, really honed in on must be able to work four or five hours of an extended, you know, you know, time, like definitely, definitely get a break. We do not say no water until two, yeah. whatever, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the opposite. Um, but still like sustained work. And I think that that really helped us because after we did that, we got Courtney and, mm -hmm. um, and she's just worked out great. And so I think we'll stick to that kind of set of qualifications if we decide to hire someone else, which I'm sure we will at some point. Um, but I would say that that's a really important aspect when you're in the hiring for farming is having a trial day mm -hmm. where you pay them. Obviously, yeah. you know, anytime they come out and work, you're paying, but it's not a for sure. It's not a like, okay, you're hired. Here's your first day there you go. Um, I mean, a trial day, maybe even a trial week, you know, mm -hmm. just, um, where you're still paying them, but they are not under any kind of like obligation to return other than the times that you're telling them, Hey, can you see you tomorrow kind of thing. Like it's up in the air for them to be able to decide and for you to be able to decide if they're a good fit. Cause I think if I'd had a week, um, you know, even just a five day week kind of thing, mm -hmm. I think I would have been able to, um, spot yeah better, you know um instead of going through the whole rigmarole okay you're hired oh no <laughs> yes and yeah. so yeah and it is tough like i've i've heard that it's one of the hardest things for farms around here to find um yeah. you know it's i think in the past um a lot of farms have based their their labor on on volunteer work and mm. it's to me, that's just not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some farms that still do. And it's, I mean, not only is it not acceptable, but it's illegal, um, to, I mean, even the bright, sunny ads for like, come help us pick flowers for, you know, this, yeah, it's illegal, like, <laughs> um, yeah. technically. So, I mean, it's, I know, and I know no one's like doing it maliciously, but it's, it's, it's a habit that we need to kick because it is really hard work. People, yes throw their backs into it. Sometimes they throw their backs out of it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, I am, I waited a long time. Like it was just my partner and me. And I mean, it's still my partner and me 90% of the time. Um, but it, it was so important to us to be able to provide mm -hmm. a living wage. And that just was not possible our first three years, you know, of, of farming. And so, um, waiting, like putting in that work, doing as much as you can yourself or getting, you know, family members, I guess if you get family, that's not technically, <laughs> I don't know, but, um, and you know, have some kids, yeah. <laughs> extra hands, <Yeah. laughs> the olden times, you know, um, it was just really important to us. Cause I think like, um, 
or, or like a truly regenerative farm is regenerative, like to the environment and in, and in the society also, you know, that's, that's why we provide a, a low cost mm-hmm. delivery CSA with multiple options for being able to get it. Um, we do, I remember you asked a while ago and I never answered you about the recipes. Yes, we do provide recipes every week in our newsletter using the items that they get in the box. And so mm-hmm. they get the email on a Monday. I deliver to them by that Monday evening and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, the, all my mm-hmm. delivery days. So then they have time to get the other ingredients that we don't have, you know, in the box. Um, but I try to use things that are like the primary ingredients are those, you know, uh, Romanesco, mm-hmm. garlic, you know, uh, uh, cauliflower, you know, like those kinds yeah. of combos that people can use multiple items for in a dish. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so, so being, um, meeting the community where it's at, like we are not in a rich, super rich community. It's very rural. It's disadvantaged according to like the USDA. Um, yeah. so people aren't going to have those big chunks of money. So if we wanted to be successful and get folks in, we needed to provide a price that was reasonable for them and multiple options of being able to get it besides just coming to pick up at the farm um, on a certain day or, or a pickup mm-hmm. location somewhere else. And, um, and then also being able to provide a fair wage for our workers is super part of that being regenerative also. It's not regenerative to leech off of people. And mm-hmm. so um, all those parts are super important to me. So, absolutely. Let's uh, wrap up here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about what's your favorite farm tool. Ooh, that's a good one. Favorite farm tool. Oh, I'd have to say the silage tarp. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, it's pretty amazing that you can just take a patch of green grass that's thriving and throw a tarp over it for and I mean people do this accidentally all the time you know mm-hmm. when they leave out something and it just covers the patch and you pick it up and it's turned yellow in a day um but just leave it there a little longer and I mean not only does the the green and the yellow go away but it's the roots are gone like it's it's gone like the the the, re- the heating over and over again and mm-hmm. the killing off of the seed that tries to come up each time that it's heated up, but then there's no light. And so it dies again and again and again, it kills off all these generations of seeds, potential seeds, the weed seeds that you then don't have to deal with and you didn't do anything. And the soil is actually, because it kept all that organic matter in it under the tarp, it's like brownie dough, you know, like just nice, nice, nice. And so I just think that that's for notes for our no-till operation. Those are essential. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say more than anything, that's my favorite, favorite tool. Um, I guess also pelleted seeds. I know that's not really a tool, yeah. but oh my God, <laughs> especially carrots, pelleted carrot seeds and beet seeds. Oh, yeah. that saved my life. I love planting carrots. I love growing carrots. We have, have beds that are just super deep. And so we get mm-hmm. these carrots that are sometimes like two feet long. Um, and yeah. I would not enjoy it as much if I had to go through and thin them. Like, absolutely. Have yeah. to. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. yeah. So 
also pelleted seeds, whatever technology that is. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. What would you say to someone who's just getting in the farming? I would say that the first thing that you really need to think about before you even find a place to mm-hmm. have the farm um, is what do you need to make? Okay. Because that will determine what you do and what 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 things that you avoid doing um, that you would have maybe not have done if you just thought I have to do everything and I have to you know have a, a farm that has every single thing on it. Um, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache and you'll also be able to really see what you are going to have to do in order to make that. And, but also what you won't have to do. Um, so like recently we've had pigs now for four years. Um, they have made it great for all of our garden areas to exist they provided great pork for the community, but we are at a period of transitioning away from pigs mm-hmm. for a while. Um, our place is two acres. It's not very big. Um, in order to expand things without having to worry whether things are going to break into uh, garden areas and eat everything, yeah. um, it's, it's just time for us. And so, but if we had thought about it at the beginning and... I mean, who knows? We might still have just because we've had some amazing piglet parties and having the yeah. piglets is amazing and like really loved it. That has been the best part. However, pigs don't really make much money, um, especially nowadays when the grain prices have increased yeah. by like 30%. And so, yeah. um, and we are going to probably retool um, and bring in some pigs that are not as harsh on the land that don't actually tear it up, but just walk along. And there's the Cooney Coonies and the Idaho pasture pigs, mm-hmm. a couple of those, um, that we're thinking about maybe coming later, but, you know, yeah. just letting the land be the land, giving it a rest, um, letting everything grow back to its, you know, lushness. And then maybe in a couple of years, bringing back a, a mating pair or something like that. So we're not mm-hmm. being able to, to, so that was all to say that um, if we had thought about the beginning and do we really need pigs when we're actually probably just going to be basically paying money to mm-hmm. have them um, and, and who knows how much of a draw that they were in part of the marketing of the farm, you know, like, so yeah. you, it's, it's harder to measure, but if they didn't, ha- I'm basing it on if they had no effect on anyone about joining our CSA, we didn't need to have pigs like we spent a lot of money on pigs of having these pigs. And so even things that you really like, like at first you just, you really need to make some money. And um, so, but you also maybe part of your life like us, like we decided that we want a permaculture farm, which is different from other farms in that mm-hmm. it's not just row crops one after the other, you know, for, for acres. Yeah. That's just not how it is. And so, but if that's the way that you want to farm or you have to, because of the spot that you're in, um, best to, you know, think of those things first and really make a plan, um, of what you're willing to do and, and go 
to do, you know, check out those markets in your, in the area that you're thinking about settling in. Um, how many opportunities are there for you to get your product out there? Um, how are they, how are, how are the local folks about like fresh food mm -hmm. and, and stuff? Like, do is that a, a thing or do they have a bunch of healthy food markets around? Um, uh, you know, that's all these things of doing research of your area. And then also being willing to, when you do find your spot, be willing to kind of let the climate tell you what you should be focusing on to grow. Like, I know you might be really, really set on growing tomatoes outside, but it's the coast here. And there's, there's just no way that you're going to get tomatoes unless you put them inside. And so unless you're going to get a greenhouse, don't start with tomatoes, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Like the, I feel like there's, um, the first thing that farmers usually want to do is they want to find a piece of land and just till it from corner to corner. Yeah. Like that's like the, the, this is the first thing I need to do. I need to buy a tractor, which first of all, please don't ever buy a tractor. Like even if you're, even if you're tilling, um, you only use it a couple times, like a year, yeah. like rent, rent a tractor, find a friend, um, share one with other farmers, you know, like do some kind of something like that, but don't be saddled with this thing. Cause then you'll just use it more. <laughs> yeah. Like if you have it, you're like, I gotta use it. Um, so like just really focusing in on what do I want to do? What do exactly do I want to do? What will make me money? Are there already a ton of um, pig farms around here? Maybe I don't want to just join the ranks of a bunch of other, you know, oh, now mm -hmm. I'm the 20th pig farm that is now in this area. You know, maybe your area um, that you want to be in doesn't have something, you know, like that's kind of how we thought with the pumpkin patch is like, yeah, it doesn't have one. And so that would probably be a really great versus any other thing we probably could have planted there um, would not have gotten the same amount of draw. Yeah. So just being strategic like that is, um, I think super important knowing what, and knowing what you really, what you need to make to, to have a fulfilling life, to live the life you want to live. Mm -hmm. Um, and also to be realistic about paying all your bills and also being able to live the life you want to live. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wow. That was awesome. Thank you so, so much for coming on today. Really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your time and uh, your story of, you know, your startup on the farm. It's really exciting to see, you know, how fast you guys have grown and just the, um, the care you take and, uh, yeah, uh, the pictures of the pigs. I love pigs. So <laughs> yeah, they're pretty great. I know that's, that's the one thing about pigs. It's like, Oh, they're so good though for social media. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. thank you. Thanks very much. It was really fun doing this and, um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed your other podcasts. So yeah. awesome. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. 
there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.